Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Harrison Rose, co-founder and chief customer officer at Paddle. In this episode, we talked about what it was like for Harrison to just finish school and dive straight into building a hyper-growth company. We then chatted about category creation and how Paddle is defining their revenue delivery platform that they are taking ownership of and working towards creating and becoming the category leader. We also discussed the million-dollar SaaS metric, how Paddle helps its customers with their retention challenges and helps untangle their Frankenstein revenue management stack, Harrison also shares some churn trends in the market and tips on how to deal with involuntary churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Harrison, welcome to the show. Andrew, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, It's great to have you. For the listeners, uh, Harrison is the Chief Customer Officer and Co-Founder of Paddle, a revenue delivery platform that helps B2B SaaS increase global conversions, reduce churn, stay compliant, and scale up fast. Uh, which we can ask you about in a bit, but they've also raised over $90 million and on an insane growth trajectory. Uh, prior to Paddle, Harrison was studying. Uh, so it's an incredible story I want to ask you now as well. But so my first question for you actually is like, what's it been like straight out of school, straight out of study into hyper growth? Um, we don't hear this often on the show as well. Like how has this learning curve been for you? Yeah, it's been phenomenal, really. People ask me about this a lot. And and the truth is, it's all I've ever known, to be honest with you. It's not like I have some other experience to compare it to. So for for pretty much my entire adult working life, I've been working on paddle, living and breathing it. So yeah, it's been pretty intense. But yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of learning and experience, like there's no better way than doing. Uh, I'm interested as well, though, in this like course of the last five years or so, what's been one thing that you thought when you got started was true that you've learned today that's false? And what's been like one of your big perception changes like over time? I, th- I think it's probably important that those perceptions and those assumptions are constantly challenged. I think that's probably the big learning or, or, or the biggest thing to consider. Like we're, we're very fortunate to be working in, in an industry in, in SaaS that's huge and, and ever growing and incredibly disruptive. And even in itself, like there's undercurrents of it wanting to disrupt and, and challenge the status quo. So I think pretty much everything I thought I knew, which was very little at the start, is probably wrong today and, 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 and things change and evolve constantly. So if there's one thing that I'd encourage everyone to do, it's almost to 
proactively seek out to, to challenge those assumptions, learn and evolve. The big statement I, I delivered to the executive team and, and the entire organization to the extent they're sick of hearing actually is that you should be looking back at yourself six months ago. And if you don't think or consider what on earth was I doing and why was I ever operating in that way six months ago, you're probably not learning quick enough to keep up with the rate which SaaS is growing. So ch- challenge everything that you know and, and keep evolving. Otherwise, you, you'll probably get left behind. Yeah, I love that. And I think especially like in fast growing organizations, like some people can keep up with the pace and they can learn and they can adapt uh, because a company at like five people is a different company at 20, it's a different 50, it's a different 100 and so forth. And as you keep growing, if you're not adapting and you're not learning new skills to adapt and survive in the environment, you're not going to be able to survive there. I think one of the, like the greatest uh, quotes I've always enjoyed hearing was shared with me like when I went through an accelerator program about eight or 10 years ago, it was like in startup life, you need to learn to embrace uncertainty. And it is that mode where like things are always uncertain. And if you don't get stressed out about by constant change, but you can adapt and you can mold and you can like become effective in those environments, then that's when you can like really become successful, I think. So I love that. Uh, point you make so talk us a little bit about paddle give us a little more detail like what is a revenue delivery platform how do you help your customers mm-hmm. yeah exactly that so we're a revenue delivery platform for, for SaaS businesses we handle checkout payments recurring billing invoices taxes and more all, all for software companies we've been going for about eight years we're 150 folks mainly based in london currently building out a number of other hubs, which is interesting. But in, in, in terms of why we exist and what revenue delivery is, which is perhaps some, some useful context for folks, whether a software company recognizes it yet or not, revenue delivery exists as a part of their organization. I mean, this is something we're really trying to elevate uh, the conversation around at the moment in, in the industry. And revenue delivery really is the kind of systems, tools, people, and processes that software companies cobble together in order to sell their products. So on the tooling side, it could be things that you recognize like Stripe, PayPal, Recurly, Avalara. These things make up revenue delivery coupled together. But then there's also like the the people managing and integrating those tools or the folks pulling the data among them to understand performance or file the taxes. These things make up your kind of revenue delivery. The, The thing that we recognize at Paddle, though, is that software companies are often held back by their revenue delivery. We spend so much time and there's so much content out there on how to form like a go-to-market strategy, congruent with a product strategy, but too many software companies, in, in our opinion, are failing because they aren't thinking about revenue delivery or their revenue delivery requirements. Like, what, what does my revenue delivery need to look like in order to support that go-to-market or product strategy that I've spent so long on? And when they neglect it, they do things like fail to acquire the, the, the right or fail to acquire customers effectively as possible with the right currencies or payment methods or linked to the topic of this show, their involuntary churn is too high due to poor infrastructure, for example. So without thinking about revenue delivery, acquisition, retention, which is the topic of today, and expansion falter. Yeah. So Paddle exists to replace their fragmented, incoherent kind of revenue delivery that's just evolved and adapted in their organization without any real ownership. Yeah. And we're there to try and offer software companies best-in-class revenue delivery from day one uh, so they can grow as effectively as possible and, and succeed on the merits, basically, as opposed to how well they've cobbled this these sets of people and tools together. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you do see it like without starting from day one with a solution like that, you end up having a, like a group and a patch of tools come together. And at some point things start to break. It becomes very difficult to get metrics on analytics because you're using one set of accounting software that you're charging 
individual customers and then you have your recurring customers on another bill and uh, I do see the best start to grow and scale and having a streamlined system and process around that being effective. It also sounds though like you're really in the process now of trying to put together a category defining product, if correct me if I'm wrong. And I don't know if you're following any sort of playbooks or you've read any good material on the subject, but it's interesting now, like listening to you talk this through and just like how you're going about uh, defining this. What is What did that process look like internally? Like how did the team like gather around to decide, okay, this is the direction we want to take. This is where the category we believe we need to be owning and defining because it is the problem that our solution is solving. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And it's relatively recent. So that there's my excuse of any of my kind of revenue delivery execution there wasn't quite on point. But I think we've known for a long time, we're solving a big, hairy problem. And for years, honestly, for, for the past seven years or so, we've struggled to really concisely describe what it is that we're, we're doing, or even describe things like competition, because revenue delivery within an organization looks so different in every organization you talk to. They're, they're using different tools. They've cobbled them together in different way. There's different areas of ownership. And it was actually in recognizing our ability, inability to concisely talk about competition or the problem that we're solving that, that led us to believe that actually the, the problem exists because we've got thousands of customers at this point have been growing very fast for eight years or so. But we needed a, a common set of language to be able to, to describe what it is that we're, we're trying to solve to, to even educate the market around it. Yeah. Um, so it was really that understanding which drove us to think about category creation. Like anything at Paddle, we went through the process of, of getting there like insanely quickly, unnecessarily almost. We engaged with an outside firm and consultancy to help us talk through how we were describing Paddle to do today. A lot of the problems that we're solving, they interviewed a ton of customers, a, a number of members of the executive team. And it was an incredibly cross-functional effort to describe what is it we're doing, the problems it is that we're solving and how customers in the market talk about this stuff to, to build out both, yeah, the, the language and the narrative around revenue delivery. It was, it was a great project. Very interesting. It, it sounds as well like a book I, re- I read recently, Play Bigger as well. That's a firm, they have their own methodology around it. But I know as well, like for, for years as well, and this is something like Segment struggled a bit with. They had this amazing tool that helped you create a, a, an amazing data stack and, and data integrity, but they couldn't really quite define it. And for them, it took a little bit longer to think until they settled on a CDP, like customer data platform. Uh, and I think that's now with the amount of work and energy they put into that, the thought leadership, the content, it's really started to take off and people are starting to adopt this terminology. So it, it definitely, I think, is an advantage to start this more earlier in the process than not. But it, it's interesting, like you mentioned, like you, you did this really fast, so you got through it. And I think that's also an important part of the process because you could always end up debating this stuff forever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, the things you talk about segment there are a great measure of its success, right? It's like... You start to track mentions of revenue delivery and revenue delivery platforms across the web and how many folks are saying that back to you during your sales conversations. We've actually been looking at Gong, a tool we use for call recording to see how many times our own reps mention revenue delivery during the the calls and what impact that has on win rates and and all sorts of things. So there's some really cool metrics that you can think about to see whether this stuff is resonating and and actually working. Um, But Salesforce are probably the early folks with CRM, um, but Segment are a great example with the, the customer data platform as well. Yeah, Salesforce with the no software campaign, I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in the context of churn and retention, though, this is a really interesting topic. And I know we discussed before the show, like Paddle has had very little churn just due to the nature of the product. You Once you get embedded into somebody's infrastructure and workflow, it's very difficult to pull out. But I, I think specifically in the book, uh, what I was reading is in terms of like category leaders uh, tend to typically own the market. 
And when it comes to retention, when it comes to everything, they just end up being stickier as a result because you're the go-to person in the, the market. You've created this picture and painted it for your audience. So it is really powerful. Like you mentioned a couple of ways now the team's rolling this out. Like uh, now that you've got this platform internally, that you've got some alignment, what are some of the ways you're thinking about uh, taking ownership now of this category as you define it? Uh, yeah, there's a huge amount that we're doing. And again, this is really across your entire organization. So your products and product marketing team need to be thinking about um, is the product we're building actually driving revenue delivery forward and helping people form a coherent product revenue delivery strategy and, and, and using a revenue delivery platform. Your, your sales team need to start using this narrative around the problem of revenue delivery and taking them on that story arc during the sales process and, and the decks that they're delivering. Marketing need to get us to start talking about this stuff in events and announcing revenue delivery as a big problem that we have to solve in 2021 at, at the events we're going to. So it really is any wide effort. And um, one of the big things that we're doing, which are quite excited about, no idea if I should be talking about this, Andrew. So you might be getting some scoops here, but we want to really write the book on revenue delivery, which I think is something that the likes of Segment and, and I think Looker did in, in the BI space, perhaps, as you say, really establish yourselves as the leader in this space and the person who understands it the best so that people come to you for advice and help ultimately around this problem that you're trying to solve. So that's the next big piece for us, writing the book on, on revenue delivery. Yeah, very cool. I think obviously, like you mentioned, there's total alignments across the org. And I think that's absolutely critical in order to make this work. So when you think about it from a product perspective, what are we building? What are we prioritizing? Like from marketing, everything. Very cool. Uh, interesting like that you're going through this sort of phase now. What year are you in the company? Six? Yeah, between seven and eight. Seven I'm and terrible eight. Terrible yeah. dates. I think we're between seven and eight. Yeah, I was just winging <laughs> it's it. It's not like a lifetime. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting as well, like uh, the different stages. I think even Sigma was probably a similar stage uh, to this as well when they first started working on this and others, probably Salesforce too. But yeah, it's interesting, like when is the right time for this? I don't think there ever is a right time, but when you feel like you say you've never really been able to describe your product as effective as you would like to, but you realize that is a big pain that you're solving because you're getting more and more customers, it probably is a good proof point. You need to really lock it down and uh, make it easy to understand. So uh, this wasn't actually what we planned to discuss today at all, but it was just interesting that you, you brought it up. The, the thing I was also interested in, like maybe you can talk us through a scenario now, like a new startup getting started, they're about to start charging their first customers. They want to get their billing and infrastructure set up. They want to get their revenue delivery platform working and running. What are the typical steps like you work with companies, advise, like what are the first things they need to be putting into place? How do they going and how does your tool then help with retaining customers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and interestingly, m- more often than not, we're actually speaking to folks that you described right at the start of the, of the podcast who have already been burned and they've already pulled together this Frankenstack of tools that nobody dares touch because they don't even know how they, they work together and they're yeah. just terrified of this beast that's living within their organization. It tends to be at that point that folks come to us. But if you're thinking about this stuff right at the start, it's going to be even better because you're not going to have to do a rip and replace. And uh, more importantly, your growth isn't going to get slowed down as you have this kind of lagging effect of constantly having to tap stuff on to try and just enable what it is you're trying to do but the way in which i encourage people to think about this is once you've determined the the growth strategy for the kind of business that's important whether you're going down the product-led route or the almost the the sales-led route it's at that point that this stuff starts to become a lot clearer and then you're obviously going to build a product strategy alongside that like what is the product we have to build in order to service this mass set of customers if we're going down the product-led group, uh, route or the maybe the larger enterprises if we're going down a sales-led route. 
you're starting to form a go-to-market strategy there, you know, what your product is, what it's going to have to do and what it's going to have to look like in order to service those customers. It's at that point that across acquisition, renewals and expansion, you should start thinking about what your product requirements are going to be. So if you're a product-led company, you probably want to spread that net as wide as you possibly can, for example. So you might want to start thinking about, okay, in order to do that, what geographies am I going to operate in? What's their, what's their expectation in terms of user experience at the point of acquisition? If I get these customers from all over the world, what does my kind of infrastructure around retention need to look like to retain as many of them as possible? You can start to plan this stuff out so that it's not um, too late when you start trying to fix a churn problem because your customers from South America are churning. You don't understand why it's the, the same on the sales side approach. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. On the sales side, you might be thinking about the invoicing structure and revenue recognition and, and things of that nature. But once you've started to form any basic go to market or product strategy, um, you can start thinking about how your revenue delivery and requirements align to those things and actually support and enable them. Nice. Yeah, because uh, I think that's what you mentioned, like the idea of South America sort of markets. I think this is one thing that I found a little bit surprising on the show, but it's definitely proven true speaking to quite a few companies is that typically like a large percentage of churn when you're having like high volume SaaS business across uh, countries just tends to be like banks not accepting payments because of the cross jurisdiction. And like something as simple as having like a processor in the market where you're in can reduce churn drastically. But Typically, like at an early stage, you don't really have the resources or the understanding to even know that this is going to be a problem or that it affects you. That's interesting. And then, so you say you're typically working with customers that have been burnt, like they uh, need to now let their Frankenstein apart and put in a revenue delivery platform. What does that look like then? What is that process? How are you helping like customers navigate that? Because I think by this point, they've already created this big, gigantic mess. They have something for billing. They have something for their pricing and packaging. They have something for the invoicing and I think you also do uh, things like revenue recognition, like staying compliant. I don't know if that's correct, but what would a typical like project like this entail? Mm-hmm. People are normally coming to us for one or two reasons, right? So either j- just the sheer operational complexity out of servicing the, the, the markets and the customers they have today is getting so large that they're focusing too much time on just trying to stay afloat and service their customers than actually acquiring new ones or building product. Maybe they're servicing so many different markets or regions right now that even just things like tax compliance globally are just costing them tens of thousands or, or spending they're spending too much time on it and, and they want to stop that. Or maybe they've got a homegrown recurring billing solution that they've got 10 engineers on that they call special projects, which is something I've heard about five times. And they want to actually direct their engineers at something that's meaningful and, and going to build upon that value. So they might come to us for that reason, but more and more commonly, people are having an issue with a metric actually across one of acquisition renewals and expansion. Software companies and SaaS companies grow in very traditional ways. They start by acquiring customers, then they think about how they can retain them as effectively as possible. Then at some point, most of the growth starts coming from how do they expand that existing customer base more effectively. And this is a normal story that we've all heard loads of times. And at some point, a software company is going to decide that they're not doing one of those three things as effectively as they should. And then it's at that point that they come to paddle either wanting to convert customers more effectively at the point of acquisition or reduce an involuntary churn figure, for example. Um, so it's at that point we talk to them about how their lack of best-in-class revenue delivery is, is impacting that particular metric, but how this is actually a much broader problem for them. And this is where that actual category creation really comes into play. Like Rather than being seen as a tactical solution to a problem these people are having, you talk about how we're a solution to the problem they're having, but the problem they're actually having is this holistic revenue delivery issue that they have, not just involuntary churn. So we talk them through how we're going to solve that, 
map out what their end-to-end tech stack looks like today and talk about where we're going to fit into that and replace it. It's quite a heavy, high-touch sales process, but it ensures their needs are met. People are scared about billing and payments, as they should be. It's the kind of core of their business and the things that pays the bills. Um, so we need to make them very comfortable in, in their migration to Paddle, but it's the fastest way in which we've grown and are growing. So that gives them some confidence. Nice. Yeah, I, I think that the concept of build versus buy is a really important one to measure, especially when it comes to billing, because a lot of times that companies internally will end up spending time building the infrastructure. And ultimately, like you say, end up having special projects and special teams, like five to 10 engineers working on billing, which is not your core competency. And for me, this has always baffled me a bit. I try to advocate for it quite a lot at Otro, and we slowly started at the end looking into different solutions and I end up picking a provider, I think. But ultimately, if you're spending so much time and energy building something that's not your core competency, your customers are losing out on features and uh, things that you could be doing to improve your actual product. For me, I'm a big fan of buy versus build, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned that as well, because I've seen that play out like a few times all the interviews and people mention similar problems as well now. Um, yeah. yeah. And a real myth people think they have is that it, it, even in trying to build themselves, they think they get better customizability or better optionality because they're in control of all this stuff. And it, it's a myth that we tell ourselves because what actually happens is that we build something internally and then we just leave it and it just sits there for years because as you say it's not the core competency of the business and then what happens is where you think you're going to get optionality to allow you to build best in class you actually just get left behind whereas if you're buying from these companies whose core competency is a one of these problems they're constantly iterating on it because it is what what it is that they do but yeah it's it's interesting for sure Uh, and then let's talk about retention a little bit in the context of the show so talk us through like how paddle is helping customers uh, with their retention what are some of the interesting maybe trends you're seeing in the markets as well because you're dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of companies a lot of data around general retention as well i assume so um yeah 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 so we're fortunate enough to work with yeah thousands of SaaS businesses selling into different industries and and different markets all over the world and and different acvs And, and when advising that the seller base we encourage them to think about churn, the two by two matrix. I'm not sure this is something I have to talk about in a podcast like a visual aid, but let's see how this goes. But there's one part of that matrix, which we start to call the million dollar SaaS metric that I'll get to that I think folks are neglecting and people should really start thinking about more. Um, but basically, you want to build out retention strategies that covers this full matrix. And, and on one axis, you have the type of churn. So you think about voluntary churn, those calling up and cancelling or jumping into an account error and cancelling a subscription, sometimes called active churn. So that's well, that's one, one piece. There's also involuntary churn. Typically, it's 20 to 40% of your churn. This is the inability to charge a customer passive churn. I'm, I'm telling th- people things that they probably already know. So that's one axis. But the other thing to think about when tackling churn is when the churning, when the churn is happening. Do I need to be trying to think about a pre-churn strategy? Do I need to be implementing stuff which is going to stop churn happening in the first place? Or should I be thinking about some of the lagging stuff and building out post-churn strategies? Because you're going to build different things and adopt different tooling and different systems to to tackle um, involuntary and voluntary churn in different ways, both pre and post-churn. So to actually give you some examples around that, some pre-churn strategies across voluntary and involuntary churn would be on the voluntary side, it's all about user activation. Are they happy? Are they engaged? There's a direct correlation between onboarding experience and retention. So if we give our, our customers a great onboarding experience, we're more likely to retain them. But 
on the involuntary churn side, what can we do before they churn actually mitigates the risk of that happening in the first place? And what we want folks to start thinking about there is payment acceptance. And so this is basically preventing failed payments happening in the first place. It's looking at the number of successful charges you can make compared to the attempts. Now, we call this a million dollar SaaS metric because based on the benchmark we've done across our seller base, those optimizing, optimizing for payment acceptance has the biggest dollar impact on your revenue retention of any of the initiatives and the strategies that you can implement. But folks don't measure it. They don't optimize for it. They don't even know what it is a lot of the time. And perhaps we can touch on that a little bit more later. But just to finish the kind of analogy, on the post-churn strategy side, you then cut it again in terms of voluntary and involuntary. On the voluntary slide, we, side, we might be talking to people about deflection campaigns or user surveys and offers. On the involuntary side, people tend to think about dunning and smart dunning. So when I'm talking to a seller about churn, I'm trying to identify where in the matrix do they have the biggest problem right now or the biggest gap? Is it pre or post? Is it voluntary or involuntary? And then I'm thinking about which strategy should I be employing based on where their biggest problem is at in that two by two grid. But eventually you, you want to actually cover the, the, the full set, if that makes sense. Yep, makes total sense. And I think like you said, you start out from the activation side. I think that's typically as well where you see the biggest compounding effects. But when you get to the other side of the matrix where it's the pre-churn or post-churn and involuntary versus voluntary, some of those things you mentioned as well, definitely around being preemptive around the cancellations, like a few things like credit card expiring that before somebody's about to churn, that's something I think you can easily automate with something like Paddle, I'm assuming, and other mm -hmm. services as well. And definitely, yeah, it is typically been to be one of the low-hanging fruits as well that's relatively easy to implement a solution for, and uh, the dividends like, are really powerful at the end of the day. Yeah, interesting. That, that's like the approach. And then that would be typically like working with a customer. You would work through like the sales cycle, I'm assuming, and then understand, okay, these are the areas where we're going to be able to make an impact on their business uh, fast and uh, get them up to speed. Cool. So exactly. yeah. what are some of the things, ways that you're dealing with? Uh, let's pick sort of involuntary churn because I think it's uh, one of the more easier ones to automate. Mm -hmm. Like what would, in your opinion, would you describe as the ideal scenario to tackle involuntary churn? And maybe we can even mm -hmm. just pick like failed card payments. As the... Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And this is a topic that we're really trying to talk about a lot. As, as we say, we think fixing that is one of the problems that's overlooked within SaaS companies today. Yet based on our, our data that I can touch on in just a second, would, would probably yield some of the biggest results for the software companies who, who do optimize for it. So, so first and foremost, you're right. Like when we're thinking about involuntary churn, <clears throat> too often people think about post-churn activities they can do. They think about dunning and, and, and retrying some of those failed cards um, to try and recover the revenue. But what people don't think about and kind of go back to first principles over is if I could just stop the payments failing in the first place, like pre-churn, um, yep. which seems really obvious when you say it out loud, but nobody does. It. And I think the reason nobody talks about it is that if I'm honest, a lot of the education we all get as, as founders in, in the SaaS market is based on the content that a lot of the tools and a lot of the, the influence out there produce for us. But there are actually very few tools out there on the market that are helping you with payment acceptance, which is the big kind of pre-churn activity you, you can think about just to stop involuntary churn happening in the first place. But yeah, if we can stop churn happening before, before it does, you don't have a problem. Prevention um, is better than churn. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And the way... That, that I'd encourage you to think about this. And we've got a ton of resources on, it, on our blog about payment acceptance, which is the, the, the big driver here um, that I'd love to share is you basically want to be as successful as possible at charging your customers. Because if, if you're able to successfully charge them, they never run into these stunning flows or, or, or these retry kind of um, flows. 
and, and things that influence that, that payment acceptance figure, and um, you can break down in, in two or three. So one of the things for you to think about is actually the way in which your customers are paying. Payment methods with what we call a direct source of funds tend to perform way better from a payment acceptance per perspective and card payments, as you mentioned. So things like digital wallets, we see that 2x proportion of failed card transactions compared with PayPal, for example. So encouraging customers to use payment methods with better attention and better payment acceptance is something to think about, but maybe something you don't have a load of control over. So it's probably not one of the most commonly used. You mentioned updating existing cards. Pretty much every payment provider you have out there is going to tell you the expiry date on a card that you've charged. And if you're going to try and charge them after that date for the card you got on file, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. And so... Exactly. Email, emailing the customer to update that in advance is, is a great idea, but some of the card networks even tell you these days the new card details of the card they've issued after expiry. So if you can work with a provider that automates that, it's again going to help you. Yeah. Again, the stat we have is like one in 36 cards a SaaS company has on file is just expired, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but the, the biggest and the most impactful thing that you can do to increase your likelihood of being able to charge a customer and avoid that involuntary churn in the first place is by routing payments through kind of local providers or local acquirers, which is what you've alluded to right at the start of the show. So in between your kind of bank and your customer, you want to set up these like local acquiring relationships. So rather than using your US company to charge UK customers, you're going to have more success if you use a UK-based acquirer, for example. Yeah, that's a huge difference. I think what you mentioned as well about the expiries, like somebody, I was having a chance, so I can't remember who it was exactly, but just if you think about logically, like if you're a SaaS business that's been operating for more than two years, with the average expiry date on a card being yep. 24 months, by default, like at any given point in time, at least like 4 to 5% of your mm -hmm. entire base of cards that you have in file is probably expiring uh, at some point. Yep. Just having that in mind, you're already seeing 4 to 5% of your transactions are at risk without doing anything exactly. like and that obviously compounds that people when they sign up it doesn't necessarily mean that they have two years on their thing it's not a brand uh -huh. new credit card that everyone's signing up with so it's an interesting area i think where you say where there are a lot of low-hanging fruits like some of the solutions you mentioned now are amazing to tech and solve that but it's what's even better is having something that automates this for you and uh, gets yeah. things done and has uh, things set up so very cool i see we're running up on time let me say i have two questions to ask every guest that joins the show first question is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now you join a new company you arrive churn retention is not doing great the ceo uh, turns to you and says harrison we really need to turn things around we have 90 days to show some results for ourselves you're in charge what are you going to do mm -hmm. I guess you use a matrix, right? It, it's understand it is the churn voluntary or involuntary, then understand what are the root causes behind that voluntary involuntary churn and what strategies can we employ both pre and post to avoid that? Is it cancellation surveys? Is it better onboarding of the right customers in the first place? Or is it optimizing some of our infrastructure to, av to avoid in in uh, involuntary churn in the first place? Nice. Yeah. Straightforward to the point. And obviously you've used this model many times. Next question. What's one thing that you know about churn and retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's really interesting because we think about churn and retention very differently at Paddle than, than some of our sellers do. But I think it's probably around the importance of metrics like net revenue retention. So rather than just looking at your pure churn metric across voluntary or involuntary, it's actually looking at the, the broader picture. So net revenue retention obviously takes into account both your expansion MRR, your attention to customers compared 
basically with the amount of revenue you're losing through your cancellations and downgrades. And I think that sometimes that's an equally helpful, more holistic picture of business health because um, your NRR has to be above 100%, basically. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't be focused on acquiring customers because they're just going to churn out the door. Um, so making sure you're looking at this from a far enough step back to know where you should be optimizing, I think would be quite helpful for folks to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, so a good grasp of uh, net revenue retention. And I think like in SaaS businesses specifically, like that net negative uh, retention is the holy grail. Like when you know you're onto something and you need to double down until then, like you need to be figuring out how do you retain more customers uh, to get there? How can you be expanding more revenue to increase the likelihood of getting there? And yeah, very cool. Nice, Harrison. It's been uh, like really a pleasure having you on the show today. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of what you're working on or what's coming up next? I don't think, I think we're announcing a, a bunch of events and content on how to tackle things like churn, if, if that's what you guys are interested in across all the different types. So I would really encourage you guys to check out uh, the blogs and the content that we have on offer if, if it's a topic that, that you're interested in. Nice. Thanks so much for joining today. It's really been a pleasure having you. Great chatting and best of luck now going forward in 2021. Thanks, Andrew. It's been great. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.